0: Hey, ladies and gentlemen, Clay Winnell here. Welcome to Grown Man Radio. Just got done recording an interview with Mark Greer, author of the new book, Getting Better, available now on Amazon and on Kindle. He wrote the book under a pen name, so you'll find it under Mark Murphy. I really enjoyed our conversation tonight. We had a couple of live callers, including uh, Brad Larden, PGA Tour player, And Lane Tidwell, friend and house flipper, and some of Mark's family members. The conversation was wide ranging, kind of gave a little background on Mark's professional life and um, competitive golf and the reasons why he wrote his new book. This episode of the Grown Man Radio Show is brought to you by the 1L Studios, my new venture in which I'm trying to gather together all my creative endeavors, my books, my videos, my golf instruction, all under one roof. So 1L Studios is now the parent mothership of all my creative endeavors. And uh, 1L Studios is supported by Ollie Plays Golf, Ollie Goes Fishing, my two children's books available now on Amazon, as well as Sandbaggery, The Art of Winning at All Costs, from A to Z, my golf satire book. 1L Studios is also brought to you by Sunflower Catering. You can visit sunflowercatering.com or at sunflower underscore catering on Instagram to check out some healthy, delicious home-cooked food delivered to your family's door. Weekly delicious menus, home-cooked, yummy, yummy, tasty food by my wife. All right, let's get to the show. Well, I'm a grown man, and what do you know is the grown man radio
1: show? I'm a grown man, and what do you know is
0: the grown man radio show? Yeah. Welcome back to another episode of the grown man radio show. As I said, tonight our guest is the head golf professional at Wichita Falls Country Club and the author of the new book Getting Better. Please welcome from his back patio, PGA professional Mark Greer. Oh, the grand entrance into grown man radio, baby. What's going on, amigo?
2: Uh, so happy to see you, Clayton.
0: Well, you know what? It's really good to see you too, amigo. It's been a long time. Last time I saw you was at one of them uh, PGA of America meetings where they make you sit around and earn your uh, your hours. Points
2: and wear a tie all day.
0: Yeah, dude, you gotta wear the tie. Have you ever worn a clip-on to one of those things, or do you go traditional? No, actually, in these modern days and times, we've stopped wearing ties
2: altogether.
0: Is that an actual fact? Or jackets? Oh wow, you can just go with a jacket and a shirt.
2: Yeah, yeah. don't tell anybody I do that, especially not well. I'm not gonna say any
0: names. <laughs> if there's a such thing as demerits in the PGA of America, I'm gonna recommend that you get them because you gotta wear that tie.
2: Well, I've heard up a lot of points coming up now, so I use them.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to join us tonight, the phone number is open. We're going to get into it a little bit with Mark here about his new book, but we welcome your questions. The Grown Phone is open, sponsored by Sandbaggery.com. The number is 925-726-3224. And you know how all the numbers have the little letters next to them? If you punch that in, it's 925-SANDBAG, and that correlates to a little company that I started, and it didn't really take off. It was one of those things where there was a little bit too much weight on the airplane, And uh, they got to the end of the tarmac, and they're like, abort, abort, abort. But we're backing the plane up a little bit. We're lightening the load. We're going to restructure. And right now, they're just a sponsor for Grown Man Radio. So if you want to give us a call, 925-726-3224 is still the number. Sponsored by sandbaggery.com. But tonight, we're going to talk to my friend, former co-worker and former supervisor, Mark Rear. Mark, what was it like to be a supervisor at a golf course in a college town where you had a bunch of uh, rambunctious young uh, folks trying to get as drunk as possible, trying to have as much fun as possible. Oh, my gosh. We might have one of these people calling in the Grown phone right now. Hang on. Let me cut out the extreme Easter Bunny music and uh, bring in our first caller of the night. Caller, you are live on Grown Man Radio. You are with uh, Mark Greer.
3: I'm
2: live right now?
0: You're live on the air right now. If you would do us a favor and cut out the uh, the audio in the background, we're getting a little reverb. Oh, oh.
2: Sorry. Person. Um. Oh, I recognize that voice. <laughs> Here you go. You can give the phone to somebody else.
0: Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah.
2: Oh, sorry. We're calling. We're um,
3: That's my family, family calling in just to tell them that we could see him on the. YouTube. You don't have to put us on the air.
0: Okay, okay. Well, you are <laughs> live, so you're on the air. You're already on the oh, air.
3: Oh, Uncle Mark, we're out here. The Greers are watching you. We're proud of you. We just wanted to say you look handsome, and you're doing great.
0: Keep wow. Up the good work. Keep up the positive vibes. Who is this that's calling?
3: This is Laura
1: Greer, his sister-in-law, and his brother Brad and Mary Stewart Greer and
3: Meredith Greer were all watching him and enjoying your show.
0: Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on the program. So I understand you guys are all direct bloodlines of somebody that died at the Alamo. You guys are as Texan as it gets.
2: Mm-hmm. That's right. We'll let Mark
3: talk about that. What? That is very exciting. Well, y'all have a good show. Thank well, you. Thanks
0: for calling Good in. luck,
3: Mark. We love you.
0: Mark, what's it like to uh, have the Texas Historical Society reach out and say, Hey, man, we need to hear your uh, your story because your great-great-grandpa, you know, was at the Alamo. I can't remember the exact details, but I remember someone reached out to you and they're like, Dude, you're like direct bloodlines of somebody that was at the Alamo. What's that like? Uh,
2: well, I mean, it makes you very proud as a Texan for sure. I mean... Uh I was born in Texas. My family's been in Texas for a long time. And yeah, one of my uh, ancestors was a private who did pass away in the the Alamo. And, uh, you know, they gave our family uh, the benefit of being a member of the uh, sons and the daughters of the uh, Republic of Texas. And, um, you know, not many people can say that. You know, Texas was only a republic for like eight or nine years. There's discrepancy there whether or not it was eight or nine years so uh.
0: (laughs) who do you think was the best president during their uh their nationhood
2: oh yeah that's a good one i think there was only one and i think it was sam houston but
0: i'm not sure i did a little bit of texas-based trivia for a previous show and i know that there was a few actually okay good so i don't know who they were but i remember sam houston was one of them and I really enjoy seeing Sam every time I drive down to Houston to see my sister-in-law on the left yeah, side of the road that. there a big gigantic white statue of big Sam.
2: Yeah. that statue.
0: Well, um, so does that, uh, do you go down there and is there like a plaque with your great, great grandfather's name on it or how, how is he immortalized at the Alamo?
2: You know, uh, his name is, at the Alamo, and our family has donated uh, some of his heirlooms uh, to uh, the Alamo Foundation. Um, I'm pretty sure they're in a closet right now, but they have been on display before, and, um, you know, we're just very proud of the whole
0: situation. Understandably so. And uh, before our caller, we were just getting into what it's like to be the head golf professional at a golf club in a college town. We got a bunch of rambunctious youngsters all still trying to have a good time and partying, but also trying to put on a good show for the members. What's it like to balance that, uh, that uh, duality, if you will? Well, funny enough, I
2: think that you might know a little something.
0: I think I do. <laughs>
2: uh, yes, we both have some of the same friends, and we both experienced some of the same things. And uh, obviously, it was wild and crazy. I was a little older than you were. But I do want to share one memory of mine with your viewers.
0: Oh, yes. Who
2: <laughs> mingling with that crowd, and that is after you won our section championship at the Miramont Country Club, and you went out that night and mingled with those people in your tuxedo and your giant uh, PGA Tour style check uh, all night. And we got a lot of good pictures from that, and we really appreciate that till this day. I will say that all of your friends appreciate that exhibit, exhibit exhibition of your creativity. Oh,
0: wow. Thank you so much. You know, I was really disappointed. Those photos never made it into the Miramont newsletter. I thought there would have been some good fodder there on, uh, what do they call it? North street, uh, North gate. Yeah, we were ripping up North gate pretty good. I think it was me and Ryan Gersh and, uh, Mason and lane probably. And, uh, if- Any of those gents are listening tonight and can regale us with any of the memories I may have forgotten due to an uh, alcohol-induced stupor. The phone number is 925-726-3224. Good times. That was my first job out of college. And uh, I remember Brad fondly saying, you know, you came down here and you interviewed and you didn't have a portfolio or anything. He's like, that's the last time I'm ever going to hire anybody just on a gut feeling he said you know you slipped one past the goalie there did you have a similar feeling
2: Oh from when he
0: hired me no 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 when, when I came in hot without a portfolio and Glenn Barrett was standing in the office and the first question I was asked officially by a representative of the club is are you
2: gay well I got a similar first question by the way but no I thought you were of the team and i trusted that gut feeling 100 percent, and we were ready
0: to go um well miramont was a cool experience for me it was like i said my first like real gig and uh, we shared an office together and uh, i just wanted to play this song for you and see what kind of memories this might stir up because when i think of mark greer this is really what pops up into my mind. Because I this song. name the
2: band first?
0: Yeah, can you name this band? This song would play at least six or seven times per day in the office.
1: I was a highway man <laughs> <laughs> On the roads I did ride, ride.
2: With sword, sword and, and pistol and by my side. side
1: You know, the last
2: verse is my favorite verse. Is that the one where he was a sailor? <laughs> yes, I mean, the lyrics are great in that
0: song, man. You can't deny that. I saw the music video today in preparation for the show, and the one where he was, I was a damn builder. (laughs) Crossed the river deep and wide. He got buried in concrete, man. (laughs) He got struck by lightning, then fell over the railing, and they buried that sucker. Buried
2: in concrete,
0: man. (laughs) How long do you think you could survive being buried alive in concrete? Not very long. (laughs) <laughs> Not too long, but anyway, I mean, I'm talking seconds. That was one of my fondest memories of working at Miramont. Was sharing a Spotify oh, account, way. and we were we were early adopters of the Spotify. But the the computer hooked up to Spotify was at your desk, and it was about this size desk. And then on the other side of the room, I had my back turned to you, and uh, but you had the speakers facing me, and I heard this song a lot, and I have grown to love it. And, uh, see, I, I really play that a lot, especially when I'm going down to Austin for some reason. Whenever I feel like the highwayman has kind of like a hill country vibe to it, or you got to be somewhere out in sort of a desert region, and then the, uh, the highwaymen really kick into their full effect. Yes. As, as the Cincinnati, same as when. i tell you that I've
2: been dreaming about Cincinnati, Chile. Oh. Uh, chatting back and forth.
0: Well, Cincinnati Chili, did I have a chance to share some of that? Oh, with yes. Guys?
2: Oh, yes, you did. I came over to your house and you, uh, you had a few people over and we really enjoyed that.
0: Okay, cool. Well, for those who don't know, Cincinnati Chili is a bed of spaghetti on top of which you put a little bit of chili and then you pile high some cheddar cheese and then put some oyster crackers on top of that. It's called a gut bomb. If you are so inclined, you can check it out. Skyline is the best uh representation of that, and you can find it at just about any Kroger's location throughout the nation. Skyline Chile so yeah, Highwayman was one of my favorite memories about the club, and um we got to play a lot of golf together. That was awesome and um I think I really kind of grew up as a person at Miramont. I think I have a lot to uh, in all candor. I didn't really understand you when I was at Miramont country club, but I was 22 years old. They say your brain is not even formed until you're like 25. I was a dumb idiot when I was working down there. And, uh, at the time I didn't really understand it, but looking back on it, the one thing that I think that Mark Greer taught me was attention to detail and hard work because those tournaments you ran down there were spot on. And, uh, I, uh, I think if I were to imagine, you might have learned some of those skills from one of our mutual acquaintances currently down at the honors course in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, I just wanted to know if uh, if we can hear maybe an impression of this gentleman uh, that we're speaking about.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. Uh, and I'm going to tell you something real quick. You know, I, I went and visited him last year. We're talking about Henrik Simonson, the, the head pro at the English course. Mark, how are you? In Tennessee. And I went and vis, visited him last year uh, prior to my visit. My first visit to the Masters, which Tiger Woods won.
0: And I predicted he would win. Uh, for many people. Oh, the um, <clears throat> why? Did, wait, can I jump in there? Why did you think he won? Why did you think he was going to win? I,
2: I don't, man, that's a really good question, but I, you know, I talked to him a few times uh, in the years before that, and I thought his mindset uh, had really changed, and.
0: Oh, you talked to Tiger Woods at Cabo, right? Yeah. Holy shitballs, we got to talk about that. So you would talk to him, and his mindset had changed. Well,
2: I mean, we're talking about very brief conversations and I'm just talking about my perception of what he was saying. And sometimes it was stuff he was saying to other people, but I mean, I really thought that his mindset had changed to, uh, one that it was, uh, you know, it used to be all body focused for him and he was always trying to make his body better and, and stronger. And and by that, he was ruining his body. I mean, I think we all agree. And then, uh. He got back into just playing the game and not being technical, playing shots on the course. Uh, and that's what he was practicing. And I really felt that mindset create, and you know, that's what you have to do at Augusta National. I mean, you have to play shots. You got to be exact distance. You have to be exact spin. And um, I really felt like that was his mindset. And, uh,
0: okay, so uh, uh, like thanks for the And that was a year
2: before he played in the Masters, and I, I knew it.
0: You know, what I, you know what I liked about that transitionary period was he started, It, from my perception, he started to be okay with not being the most powerful. He started to, like, yeah. be okay with just the fairway finder.
2: That was totally part of it, totally part of it. And he felt like he was going to curve his ball into play and then curve his ball close to the pin. And that was re- the really the original mindset of the Tiger Woods mentality that in 2000, 1999, 2001, that what him always
0: okay so you, you took this you that's awesome i want to get back to your time at cabo but you were just about to go visit with henrik simonson at the honors course mark how are you nice to have you uh, well
2: you know that uh many times that i would call the golf shop and uh i would like his father and i would say hello uh Tamara, this is peter simonson calling is my son henrik there and she would totally fall for it right <laughs> And so, well, there's your impression. <laughs> he is he is the best. I went and saw him last week, and the honors course is amazing. You saw him last week? No, no, last year before I went to the...
0: Oh, 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 oh. Sorry, I didn't... Yeah, see. what what did you learn from Henrik under his tutelage?
2: Just that. Yeah, you, you said it exactly. Hard work and attention to details. I mean... I- Oh, yeah, that was the other thing I was going to say about him is that I have really lightened up later in my career, but he is still the same.
0: <laughs> oh, he's still a stickler, huh? Yeah,
2: oh, oh, for sure. But, you know, if you're at the honors course, I mean, you know, the number 38 course in Oklahoma, in, in I mean, I, you got it. I'm sure that's why he's that way. I'm at Wichita Falls. We're in Wichita Falls Country Club. We're a little bit more casual here. There's a lot of cowboys here, man. So, uh, you have to adjust your, your culture. You know,
0: well, I got I to gotta give a shout out to Henrik because one time oh, yeah. when I was working there as a, a, assist, a lowly intern, and again, just a dumb idiot, just a 20-year-old just chasing the next six pack, um, I was closing up the shop one time and forgot <laughs> to uh, you know, do it properly uh, and didn't put any of the money from the cash advance to the caddies in the safe. So there was like 10 grand just sitting out in the open just you know, didn't figure that that would be a high priority to lock up or anything in the safe. And then uh, went back to the, uh, the dorms over there across the way. And then just so happens that night, the golf shop got broken into by a couple of hoodlums. And uh, luckily, all they got off with was a couple of pair of like uh, vapor Nike shoes and a couple of shirts and they forgot to grab the 10K that I left sitting out on the counter. And then Henrik took, brought me into the office the next day. He said, "Clay, we have to have a discussion." I was like, "What's up, dude? This so, is not acceptable." Clay. Yeah, and that the best part was like I had done that like two times. <laughs> the first hey, well, time I, he let I, I
2: stayed in the same dorm. I made I might have stayed in the same room as you.
0: Probably did. There were some good hijinks in that dormitory. Yeah, and that really was his vision too. What a cool guy to have the vision to like put that together. And that was the thing when like we'd leave it all trash from partying. He's like Clay. I was on my hands and knees laying the carpet in the dormitories, so it's difficult to see when it looks like a, a fraternity party. My uh, my uh, impersonation. You do it so much better than me. No, no, no. That's like I, you've been
2: practicing, bro.
0: No, I'm disappointed in it. It's not quite the right conda. It's uh, perfect. But another thing, like when my parents came down to visit, like he—he's such a gentleman. It's ridiculous. So, like, there's that long winding driveway, and he was going over probably with a bucket to go pick up some weeds along the long drive because it drove him crazy. When he so go- frustrating. He saw some broadleaf invasion in the toy shop, and he That's got funny. out of the car and went and picked it up in a bucket and he was yeah. in a, he was in his woollen slacks and uh he uh he saw my parents coming in the um, for like an intern visit day in the minivan and it was like 500 yards away and he just comes marching over like through the heather through the long grass and he like goes straight like hello I'm I'm Henrik uh, you know your son is interning for me he's doing a good job except for when he forgets to lock up the 10,000 dollars cash and when it smells like someone's been piecing by the caddy shack. We had this one maintenance intern on top of the dorm up there that used to uh, spray a little bit off of the uh, balcony because it was less, uh, you know, it was more convenient than going back inside to go to the bathroom. Yeah,
2: you had to walk all the way to the restroom.
0: Yeah, so you would just let it rip there. And it's it's down in one of these little hollers, as they say, in Tennessee, down in the hollers. And so there's not good airflow. And, you know, you think you pee into a parking lot. It's going to evaporate. No big deal. But, like, two weeks later, the caddies are like, God damn, it smells like someone's pissing down here. And then that gets to Henrik. And then Henrik pulls me in the office. He's like, Clay, Clay, it, sounds, it smells like someone's been pissing. And I was like, well, that's weird. 1st time hearing of it. And so, but through all that, he was like the coolest guy ever. Gave me a good recommendation that led to me getting the oh, job at okay. Miramont to hang out with you and Brad. And and um, I, hope they were, I hope
2: they were recording this. Oh, it's definitely recorded.
0: I think <laughs> it's I think a uh, statute of limitations have passed in terms of intern uh, first sure He would love that. Uh, um, I think I think I've heard some stories that maybe he got after it a little bit as a young man himself. <laughs> I can tell you. I can tell you some stories, but we'll save that for another time. Okay, yeah, uh, we'll get back. <laughs> Still, a mentor of mine. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so anyway, so you we worked together at Marimont, and then you headed down to straight to Cabo. What's it like as an American First,
2: uh, golf professional
0: at a course designed by Tiger Woods? That is uh cool thing to have to your name what's it like to be an American working down in Cabo a party town I've never been to Cabo uh,
2: it was it was fine for me because I didn't really party that much um I probably only stayed up past midnight uh, five six times while I was there in the three years but uh it's a fishing town and um, I love fishing and I love scuba and uh, did that, and uh, you know, the see. I don't know if you've ever been down there, but the scenery is amazing. Um, it's the uh, best place to visit in Cabo. People talk a lot about Cancun and all that stuff, but it is the best place to visit. In Cabo.
0: And what did you learn from your time down there working at Tiger's Course, Diamante? That, uh, Mexican people are wonderful,
2: um, they work hard and they're unbelievably loyal. Uh, that uh, Mexico's kind of screwed up.
0: And it's, Politically?
2: Yeah, it's in a terrible way. Uh, you know, the, the big companies and the government, they really don't support the common people. And I know that we get the feeling that that happens here in America. But, oh, we got so good here in America. It really happens down there. They, they, they're not supported at all. There's so much poverty, it's ridiculous. And uh, man, those people still are so thankful for what they have. It's unbelievable. With, the, with just the littlest things and the hugest families and the littlest amount of money, they just get a freaking polio on the way home and they're so happy for it. You wouldn't believe it. And uh, hardworking, loyal people.
0: So my understanding of Cabo is that it's, uh, you know, very wealthy folks that are going there to vacation and then obviously somebody's got to be there to work. So what's the city like in terms of where the rich folks live and and then where the locals live and then you're somewhere in the middle as a head golf professional. You're not poor, but you're not killing it. So where, where where were you able to live down there?
2: Yeah, and it's the same type of separation in America. The percentages are a little bit different. You know, poverty is much higher in the middle class, like me, were a small percentage and, and rich. And then rich, they all live in their own little enclaves, obviously, and they're, they're all on the coast. And then as you move closer, uh, further inland, you know, they're just more and more poverty. I was able to, uh, and, and, and other professionals uh, and on my level were able to live in some of the older uh, uh, buildings and apartments and areas, Used to be resort areas, um, and it's close to the water still. So we still had a semi—I
0: don't want to say luxurious, but luxurious lifestyle uh, living in. And uh, what's the best restaurant to go to in Cabo? That is an awesome question. I mean, it depends on what you're looking for. Are you a foodie? Are you into total food? My wife is a foodie. So if we were ever to go down there and you were to find, recommend like the perfect taco shop that has a nice view of the ocean and a place you can uh, get a couple of cold ones and uh, watch the sunset, that would be my preference.
2: Okay. Well, if you're talking about tacos and real Mexican culture, uh, you want to go to La Lupita they have locations in Cabo and in Cabo uh, at San Jose del Cabo and then if you want something really nice I mean there's a couple of organic restaurants in um, in San Jose one is called Acre it's my favorite they have a, uh, a great uh, mezcal tasting when you come in even before you get sat I don't know if you know what mezcal is but it's yeah
0: cool.
2: and then um, if you're like into Mexican sea- scotch right uh, that's a good way to describe it, but it's really the origins of tequila. Like uh, Tequila is a mezcal, the way I understand it. It falls under the mezcal sub. I don't want to say anything wrong. But then there's uh, places in Cabo San Lucas like El Farallon, which is right on the rocky outcropping. Uh, this is exciting, and there's waves crashing uh, all uh, night long, and you've got beautiful food. It's super expensive, but it's a great place to go.
0: Okay, cool. I'm writing that down uh, five, and, and you you had some experience working in fine dining. I remember that that you you said you, you didn't you in Houston you said you worked in fine dining busy man i uh
2: I spent all twenty seven years in college all twenty seven years that I was in college <laughs> I was a fine dining bartender, and so yes.
0: What did you learn from your time in fine dining?
2: Well um, that food and wine and uh, certain spirits are uh, beautiful in uh, in moderation and uh, I learned that uh, some French people are kind of mean.
0: French dudes like the chef dog food. (laughs) Yeah yeah and uh,
2: you know I just I met a lot of great people. I met people from the French embassy I met a lot of rich people. I met um, George H.W. a couple of times. And um, it was just a great experience to meet all those people. It's like the same experience that we have in the country club. Um, where just different types of people that we would meet in our normal lifestyle.
0: Is that something that you would splurge on with you or a date if you're going out? Uh, is that something that you really enjoy to go to a nice fine dining experience and maybe spend a couple hundred bucks on a meal?
2: Well, now that I know, I'm kind of spoiled and absolutely doing it all. It whenever, whenever
0: I can. Yeah. Okay, well, let's fast forward a little bit. What's the best eating in Wichita Falls? Ah! ah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: McBride Steakhouse, man. Uh, My buddy Ford Swanson, he owns the place. It's a great place. Um, It's a family restaurant. Um, You know, you're not going to get a lot of what you get in the Dallas-Fort Worth area here in Wichita Falls. Uh, You are going to get a lot of beef, I'll tell you that.
0: (laughs) But, uh, uh, you know, it's a country town. I've driven through it a couple of times on our way up to – the boulder Colorado. on the wild Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Melissa's parents live in outside of college or Colorado Springs. So we cruise through there. And I, I always kind of dig the town when I'm driving by. I see it looked like it used to have some industry up there, like some smokestack action going on. And there's some big buildings and stuff. What's the story of Wichita Falls? I don't really know anything about it.
2: Uh, agriculture, cattle, and oil. Um, and, uh, those things have, uh, been in different percentages over time. Uh, now we're mainly oil and, uh, as we know, oil prices, and gas prices are really far down. So, um, our economy here in Wichita falls has been basically, I don't know, stagnant to growing slowly in the last, uh, 20 years. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, like you said, it's a great, it's a great town. It's a great town to raise kids in. Um, agriculture is coming back up. We got the wind farms coming back up. Uh, cattle, always a huge industry around here for sure.
0: And do you have family ties to the area, or is it just the job? No, it's just a job. You know, my family ties are to South Texas. Okay, so you came from Cabo up to be the head golf professional at Wichita Falls Country Club, and uh, how's how long have you been there now? Three years. Three years? Yeah. Have you brought any of your cool, uh, creative ideas that, uh, to the club, like you used to do at uh, Miramont?
2: I mean, yeah, I think so. Uh you know, maybe on a more low key level, um, than we used to do at Miramont since it was a college town. Um, but yeah, I feel like I have, you know, you get older, you get, uh, um, uh, Maybe the ideas are are still as good, but maybe it's more of a flow and it's less of a sharp uh, change from what people are used to.
0: I dig. Do you remember any of the names of the racers of the Miramont RC Derby?
2: You know, I tell people about that situation all the time. Um, You know, one of them was Russian. (laughs)
0: Victory Lane.
2: Victory <laughs> Lane. Victory uh, Lane is my name. And then Kevin, Kevin, uh, Kevin was,
0: Kevin was, that was Lane, right? I don't remember who was who, but I remember Pretty the name. sure that was Lane. And then Kevin was somebody else. Hugh Jundies was Weston. <laughs> he was British. He was Hugh Jundies. And then we had it, do you remember the Italian? No. Donatello, nobody. <clears throat> Did you do that research? I have those files saved. I yeah,
2: mean, if you would have told me about that. I would have remembered every one of them.
0: I remember something else you taught me. You told me how to make an Excel sheet like a son of a gun. Merge and center. Every time I merge and center, I'm like, oh, that's Mark Greer living in my spirit. Bless his heart. Tell my assistants about that now. It's probably the same deal, <laughs> dude. You got those things centered, and the you got it as close to the edge of the margin yeah. as possible. People look at a good uh, tournament results sheet and people are really impressed. Mark, do you have your results sheet yet? (laughs) Results. You must have it spaced so the rubber band (laughs) is not blocking your writing area. All those things matter, man. It's all about the details, man. (laughs) And the corner rounder, the goddamn corner rounder. Hey, now, you know...
2: My, uh, another assistant we had at Marimont, Jamie Christensen, he called me recently from up in Wisconsin. He said, Hey, you know what I just ordered? Corner rounder.
0: Oh, yeah, baby. You know, it's a nice touch. It's a nice touch. Plus, it limits your paper cut action. Um, so, we're going to get to your book here shortly, but just so the, the listeners can get to know you a little bit better, I got some uh, quick fill in the blank sort of word association questions for you here, just rapid fire. First thing that pops into your mind are you down? all right the best band is that's so hard i'm gonna say rush right now the funnest golf course i've ever played is escondido your earliest memory is (laughs) uh slippery rock in georgia
2: what's that Uh, I was in our backyard. We had a forest. There was a
0: waterfall. It was kind of just ran over the slippery rock. Uh, It was sweet, man. Sounds cool. Uh, Your first car was? Fiat Convertible Uh, Spider. Oh, snap. What color? Red. Red Fiat Spider Convertible. Look out, lady. No, it had half of the top missing, and one of the wheels was crooked, so bad deal. What was the back speed on that bad boy? Oh. Max speed was pretty good, but uh, that was pretty much the only good thing. Uh, charcoal or gas? Charcoal.
2: Come on. Why? Charcoal. It uh, tastes better. And I like fire. Sorry. I like making fire. Fire. I like making
0: fire. Uh, chunky or creamy peanut butter? Creamy. The best fast food chain is? Bird. Madonna is? I remember you hated Madonna. So I threw that one in there. (laughs) Cats are super lame. (laughs) Dogs are pretty cool. Are what? Pretty cool. Oh, pretty cool. Um, the best movie is, man, I'm going to have to say star Wars. Nice. Um, Your biggest inspiration is? Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein. Cool. Um, Oh, now I'm getting into the wedge issues here. UFOs are? Real. Real? Yes. Do you think that Lieutenant Fravor stuff is the real deal legit?
2: I don't know who he is.
0: Oh, dude. That's like the ones that the, the Pentagon officially recognized as. We don't know what it is the other day like it was leaked by that guy from blink 182 first and then like a year later the the pentagon's like yep there's a bunch of things that are 40 foot long tic tacs flying around we have no idea what they are and everybody's like okay don't care in the constant news cycle we don't give a shit well i appreciate that because why would we care yeah well was not important um how about ghosts are
2: uh
0: i'm 50 50 on that Have you ever had any super spooky stuff unexplained happen? No. Yeah, me neither. I'm waiting for it. I want it to happen so bad. I think it only happens to to people who don't want it to happen. Um, (laughs) The coolest swing on the PGA Tour belongs to? Uh, Coolest?
2: uh, Man, that's a really hard one. I'm gonna say Matthew Wolf just because it's so wicked.
0: My boy, that's my favorite too. Uh, Patrick Reed is.
2: A true American.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow, good dodge. All right, last but not least, Mark Greer is. I mean, just poor golf trope,
2: golf bro, trying to get by, man.
0: Whatever, whatever. I wanna know why you wrote this book. Tell us about your book. It's called "Getting Better," and on the insert, it's uh, it says that you can gain skills you need to improve anything in your life in just a few hours. So, why, what, and what caused you to write a book, and what's it all about?
2: Yeah, well, I, I thought about writing a book for a long time. You know, I uh, also in my career. You, I came to a point where um, I realized my whole life was about making people happy. And, um, you know, those kind of ideas combined. I had different ideas about the book. Um, and finally came to, well, I have a decent understanding of how the brain works. Um, Let me explain that to people because most people don't understand it. And then let me tell them step-by-step step how to uh, change what they're thinking if they want to. Right. And so um, it just developed into that. And then I just saw it as a huge challenge and I wanted to, uh, you know, meet that challenge. And so, that's what it did.
0: and so folks can pick up the book on Amazon and on Kindle. It's called getting better and you used the pen name. I think that you said that was uh, in honor of your grandmother.
2: Yeah. yeah you know she's kind of the matriarch of our family on my dad's side, and um you know she's really our heritage to Texas, and uh she talks a lot about
0: was she the one that called you Dear Heart? Yes, yes, I remember that too. I love that. I still use that with Melissa. I stole that from you so, it, so, that. <laughs> so if you're confused and you're looking for the book, it's under Mark Murphy. Getting better. So, can you give us a little uh, sampler platter of you know some of the things that people might not know about how the brain works and how they can use that understanding to better themselves?
2: Well, I mean, one thing that we don't really notice is how much of our behavior is habitual. Um, you know, from when we get up in the morning to when we go to bed. You know, a very small percentage of what we produce behaviorally is from from our conscious. Uh, A lot of it is from our subconscious. And, you know, that's just, is a habit in itself. And um, that is a habit that we have fallen into socially. Um, When we were earlier humans, and I'm talking about earlier humans before we were even socialized, um, we were more aware, we were super aware all the time and um, our minds were open, and our behavior was changing um, all the time. Um, Now, uh, we've gotten some habits, and, um, you know, if people like that, that's fine. But if people want something better, you know, this is what I introduce.
0: Is that because we've kind of created this artificially safe environment, so we don't have a lot of these external threats, so we just get kind of bored and we get into the same rut?
2: absolutely absolutely and then you know tv is, is 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 help be responsible for that you know all the social media is is, is responsible for that look at look at what people complain about social media that is people that who are blind to the reactions of other people and they just post stuff, uh irregardless <laughs> irregardless regardless of people's feelings especially <laughs> i'm in the habit of using the word irregardless because i joke about it so much <laughs> but you know you know, people post mean stuff on Facebook because they don't see the reactions of other people. And then,
0: um, that's what I was saying. Yeah.
2: You don't,
0: you don't have to deal with the person's emotions when you tell them that they're a loser on the internet. It's like, exactly. this. it's this whole another like de-evolution of, of that, uh, person that you were talking about earlier that was constantly on alert looking for saber-toothed tigers and just trying to find the next meal and now all of a sudden it, we're so soft that we got to like make our own issues online and uh, and you're saying that that absolutely. has some uh, that has some serious downsides to your mental health
2: absolutely absolutely and we get in those habits and so and then those habits will spiral down into negative thinking and um, it will create very unhappy lives for us.
0: So I don't want to give away too much of the book, but how can people start to turn it around? What are some scientifically proven ways to form better habits?
2: First thing I would say is pay attention to what you're doing, pay attention to what you're thinking. You know, ask yourself multiple times throughout the day, you know, what am I doing, what am I thinking? Am I caught in a habitual uh, rut of behavior? Or am I doing something different? Am I creating something new with my life? Um,
0: that's the first step I would say. And then... Um, so like literally journaling? Do you, th- do you think it's h- helpful to write it down? Or is it is it enough just to notice your thoughts?
2: I try to keep it as simple as possible. Um, but for everybody, it's different, you know. Um, for me, I can keep it into one or two different... Thoughts for some people, it might be five, six, or seven. If that's the case, yeah, you need to write it down. Um, but uh, we need to keep it as simple as possible. You know, what I do say in my book is right, boil it down to the very simplest thing, boil it down to the, the crux of the matter, and understand what's producing the behavior that we're creating, right? The same, the same habitual thought can create a number of different behaviors. Uh, that are habitual and harmful to us. But if we just change the root issue, right? The root thought, uh, then all of those uh, behaviors will change.
0: What What do you say to folks that say, man, it's scary to face my demons? Like, it's easier for me just to not pay attention to it. Uh,
2: well, um,
0: I would say, are you happy? Say what? I would say, are you happy? What if they're not able to answer that question because they're in a fog? Well, then I would say,
2: then you're probably not happy. Yeah. I would say, Hey man, um, it's easy and you can take it day by day. I mean, well, it's not easy, but it's simple and you can take it day by day and uh, you can see progressive incremental improvements as you go along. And really you don't have to change your life or your thinking or your family that much. I mean, you may have to change the people that you hang around with, just because they introduce different behaviors to you, and they're, mm, you know, part of your bad habits. But I mean, if you start thinking differently, those people are going to disappear anyway.
0: Yeah. Do you do you subscribe to that idea that um, you kind of are as a person similar to the people you spend uh, the most time with? I think they say like the three. People that you spend the most time with sort of impact your personality? I believe that that energy
2: is transferred in between those humans for sure. I believe that maybe one of those humans has more power and exhibits more power over those people, and then those other people may be subservient in that group. And I believe that that even can be a flux. Um, but uh, we give energy to the world and to people all the time. We are giving our energy, and uh, that is affecting people, you know, whether it's by facial expression or whether it's by some ethereal matter that travels through the universe. I mean, it's truly affecting people. And so that's one of the things in my book and towards the end that we really talk about um, you know, providing the proper energy to the world.
0: Cool. Uh, does you, Do you get into the idea of free will and the different types of free will in your book? I mean, what do you mean? <clears throat> um, just there different theories about, as we're learning more and more about the brain, some of these studies that indicate that they can predict with certainty which button you're going to press seconds before you become aware of which button you're going to press and the implications of that.
2: Well, yeah, no, I, I, you know, I'm familiar with stuff like that and I really feel like those people can predict that behavior and really due to, um, the habitual behavior that we have produced over And, um, I mean, if you put it into algorithms and percentages, yeah, you can predict 99% what buttons somebody's can push under a certain circumstance. Um, but that doesn't really tell you about human behavior. you know um, a lot of our behavior is voluntary because we're on our own, right? Um, it's like before we go to bed and before and we, right when we wake up in the morning, there's nobody affecting of us. you know I'm, I'm alone a lot, so I experience it a lot. But you know, when you're on your own thinking, Other people can affect you, yes. But it's only you, right? So you can choose whatever it is. Um, And so that way, you know, I think all of that is... Yeah, you can predict it, but um, yes, we can also choose. Okay. Um, Our program behavior um has has control over us in some sense, but my book is about gaining control of that and being in the conscious realm for a greater period of time. So in that case, hopefully we would be able to fool that guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. by thinking independently. Okay. Um, and do any of these principles, do you talk, I saw you mentioned tennis on the, on the cover of the book. Um, what about golf? What can golfers take from your book? Well, oh, you know, golf is a behavior. <laughs> uh, That's an interesting line. What do you mean by that? It's something that we do. Um, you know, being an athlete
2: is, the way we are an athlete is the way we behave is, I don't know if I said that right, you know, the way we perform as an athlete is congruent with the way we behave as humans, all right? So, um, take me for example, Um, I had an unexplainable fear of talking to people, right? And I also had an unexplainable fear in golf of what was going to happen with my golf shot. Right? So those behaviors are very similar. I can go to the root of that problem, um, change that basic thought, and then um, over time, uh, staying conscious for a larger period of time, uh, I can change that behavior and thus change the results that I'm experiencing.
0: That's the second time you said that stay conscious for uh, a longer amount of time. Are you talking about mindfulness or what do you mean by being conscious? You're aware of your thoughts?
2: Yeah, yeah. Just like paying attention. Um, So what I said initially was that we we really don't realize how much we let the subconscious, in other words, our habits control our behavior from getting up to the morning, uh, taking a shower, brushing our teeth, going to work, whatever it is, making our breakfast. most of the behavior that we execute during those times is habitual and controlled by our subconscious. Okay. And, um, if we're able to stay in the conscious realm, i.e. control our thought process in those moments,
1: right? I'm going to
2: stay happy and grateful right now during this time while I'm cooking breakfast. Um, that'll be changing our habits moving forward and in the end we'll change our behavior and in the end
0: we'll change our results. So that's the chain of events. It's habits, behavior, and then what? Results. Results. That makes sense. Uh, You know, Melissa has really been great for me in terms of, of being more disciplined. That's really the word that I'm trying to lean into coming out of, um, lockdown uh, my biggest takeaway has been I've got a lot of ideas but it's scattershot pew, 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 pew. and I want to try to do everything but you've always
2: been right
0: right and so my goal is to take these things and kind of give them a little bit of uh of gravity so these ideas start to kind of orbit and start smashing into each other and become like uh like bigger better ideas and uh here's my subconscious calling on the grown phone here uh welcome to grown man radio you're live on the air with mark greer mark Greer, this is your old friend brad mark oh goodness it's the dogger in the house oh god i love that guy Oh, boy. Brad, you've joined us when we're about to get in the deep end of the pool. I hope you got your swimmies on, brother.
3: Yeah, well, first of all, two of my favorite people in the world, two of the smartest friends of mine in the world right here. This is so above a, just a golf pro's head like mine. I mean, it's an incredible conversation tonight. I love it.
0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, tonight we're, we're welcoming Brad Larden, a previous guest on the show, made it through Q School six times, and we're talking about a mentality on the golf course. What better person to learn from about a golfer's mentality on the golf course than Brad Larden. So welcome to the program, Pro. Um, first of all, before we get into it, how's everything going with your uh, Corona Relief uh, program for PGA Pros?
3: Uh so you know that's that's basically run its course it was great by the way um that's run its course cuz i'm back at work and the the courses you know where we're really crowded right now um, even though we still have some restrictions um but it was it was awesome it was a great experience for me you know i got i got to raise you know about 10 grand and i got to you know basically give uh, I got to fulfill some help for every everyone who asked for it from the South Texas PGA or the Sun Country PGA. So that, that was really good that I could give a little bit of help to a few guys that needed it.
2: And it was also an inspiration to a lot of PGA professionals across America.
3: Yeah, well, you know, one, I want to, I totally appreciate that. And, you know, I'm just thankful I'm in the position to try to give back a little bit because God only knows I've taken a lot early on. <laughs> so, so, that was good. But, you know, you guys, I was just listening a minute ago to you guys and, you know, we were talking about, you know, if things are sort of pre decided. It's funny, I was watching Michael Jordan The Last Dance. I don't know if you guys have seen that show yet. It's a pretty amazing series. And, you know, there's some tremendous insight to Jordan. And, you know, one of the guys talks about how, you know, most people are trying to be here in the now, in the here and the now, and how Jordan basically lives in the now, and he's almost never not in the now. And that's why he's capable of, you know, rising to the moment so much. And, you know, my take is, I think for the people that are, really in the now, I think their behavior would be much more unpredictable and maybe not predestined or whatever you want to call it, because those guys are just reacting to whatever's in front of them, and they're not influenced by past or future, you know, they are just going at the moment, and, you know, that's when most athletes, I think, perform
0: their best and
3: You know, I think that's, you know, something we all try to strive for. What
0: do you guys think? Well, that's what I like to write about. That's my favorite thing to write about in the whole world. And that's why my mascot for Clay Winnell Golf is the Alan Watts Circus Bear. Because uh, I had an epiphany personally uh, in my own golf journey when I'm trying to be like Jordan. I'm trying to be in the now. But unfortunately, when you're trying to be in the now, you're not in the now. It's like a dog chasing its tail. So my understanding of it is the only way to really be in the now is to totally engross yourself in the task at hand. And on the golf course, that is a very clear task. In life, it might not be as clear. But uh, how fascinating that Jordan's brain, for whatever reason, just trends towards being fully engrossed in this task at this time. You know, I think a
3: little bit of that, Clay, in the case of, like, Jordan. So Jordan is the epitome of the most hyper-competitive athlete on the planet, right? Tiger Woods made the same level. And that's, that's probably as high as it gets. Maybe Michael Phelps. And those guys, they are so competitive. And so when you are hyper-competitive, you are so not concerned with what anybody thinks or with the result. You, you just want to perform maximum at the second because you do understand that when you perform maximum at the second, that ultimately gets you the results you want. But those guys are so hyper competitive that that's just how they live every second of their life. Maybe they're wired. Well, they're obviously wired different, I don't know if that's quite a learned behavior or not. Maybe you can learn some of it. But, you know, I think um, because they're I, – so I think competitiveness, you know, hyper-competitiveness that, you know, some of your great athletes have allows them to be there. They're, they're not worried about what somebody thinks, what they look like. They're not worried about technique. You know, they are, the goal is to win and win now, period. Now they understand that preparation has a lot to do with that. Um, but even when they're preparing, you know, part of the beauty of the show is Jordan is creating every possible excuse to want to kick your ass. Every And, and sometimes he's making them up to, for himself. And, you know, I think, when you are so focused on, you know, doing the best you possibly can. And, and even I think doing the best allows you a slight bit of excuse for not winning. Those guys are like winning is the only thing that possibly matters. Like Vince Lombardi the same way. And and that's it. And there is no excuse. You either win or you lose. It's It's nothing else. So it was really a fascinating show, but I think that goes, you know, right in line with, you know, kind of, you know, along the lines of being in the now and, you know, when you're right, some, you know, you, you see like gurus and meditate to the now, or you see a shaman that might peyote to the now. Um, Are you everybody's wanting to get to the now, whatever that is. And when you're,
2: when you're there, you don't know that there's any other place but there to be. Let me but just say if I'm if I might just uh, interject right here. Um,
0: for you, Clayton, when your wife tells you that you need to be more disciplined. Yeah, no, she didn't tell me that. I came to that. I came okay. to that based on <laughs> observing her. And then talking
2: about Michael Jordan and how he was that particular person who could stay in the now at all times. Look, Michael Jordan, just like Brad said right there, Michael Jordan was thinking of ways to win. He was staying in the conscious moment right there, thoughts that would produce victory for him. Even if that meant making thoughts up, making lies up about people who have said something about him. He's staying in the conscious realm, even though he's making thoughts up even though he's fantasizing, right? He's consciously controlling his thoughts. You, being disciplined, you know, it's just about paying attention to what your goals are, what your, what your day to day, step by step uh, execution uh, uh, in, in the course of uh, attaining those goals. are. You know, it's just this, the, the exact same thing. What Brad Lardon said right there is exactly what you can read in my book. Awesome. It's, yeah. It's- and be.
3: Great, great point Mark And what I think is really difficult For a lot of folks And you know it is for you know Most of us mortals who are You know have some normality Is If you want to be That person that it Will do anything For victory that means You are willing to sacrifice Anything for victory And you know So as harsh as this is um you know are are you willing to sacrifice the happiness you have with some other relationship because you know it will distract you from the process that leads to victory, so it really becomes a dichotomy so a guy like Jordan or tiger, the truth of the matter is they were willing at points in their at a major point in their life, probably ten or fifteen year periods, were willing to sacrifice anything for it and you know, maybe they had the right mate to understand that and appreciate it, and maybe they didn't. maybe Elon wasn't the gal that could get it and you know may may so it it's really really difficult to sacrifice everything, but to be in the now, you gotta care about only the now, and that means you need to be there's there's a degree of selfishness involved there. And not everybody in your world can deal with that. And that's, I think, one of the things that makes it so difficult to do that because most of us care. Most of us. I'm I'm not willing at this point in my life to sacrifice anything in my relationship with my wife or my daughter right now. Um, I'm really lucky because my wife understands that, you know, there's a reason I finished work tonight but still went to putt for 30 minutes even though I don't even have a tournament for a while. Um you know, I so she gets some of this, which is really good. Um but but a guy like Jordan or Tiger Woods, they wouldn't care if she got it or not, they're doing it. It doesn't matter.
0: How about in the in the peak of your playing days, where did you fall on that competitiveness spectrum? Maximum.
3: That's why I have a couple of wives. I mean maximum. Um you know I, I didn't go to proms when I was a kid. I sacrificed everything. But it really, for me personally, I didn't even know it was a sacrifice at the time because it's the only thing I knew, right? I knew I need to get better. I need to work harder. I need to do this. You know, being a PGA Tour player is what I want to be. Winning is what I want to do. And, you know, I think that helped me. You know, I don't think I have near the athletic ability that, you know, physically, uh, you know, I'm not like what a lot of these other athletes were. But I think I was able to maximize a lot of my ability not all of it not all of it uh i i wasn't i wasn't able to sacrifice everything but i i did sacrifice most everything even to the detriment of certain you know things you know that that i became conscious of later um but you know, it, it was my expectation that if you were going to be with me, you knew this was my deal and you needed to be on board or you were out. And, you know, that's a brutal, harsh thing to say, but that's what these guys are all about. That's what they do. And, you know, that, that's, it sounds reasonable for some people in the beginning or your partner, but in the end over a long period of time, it's very, very difficult. Um, and, and it's, doesn't make that person bad. I mean, it's just difficult to to take be second priority in, you know, someone's highly motivated life. And I don't know if that's good or bad, right? You know, it's probably more wholesome thing to, you know, I mean, I sacrificed relationships. I'm not necessarily proud of that. It's just what I did, but at the time, it's what I was.
0: And to me, no, to point. me, it sounds like, Brad, you're kind of like a soldier when you got that mentality. You're not like a regular human. You have like a higher calling that transcends all other things.
1: Yeah,
3: you know, I, there, I think there's a lot of degree to that, you know, of truth to that. Um, I don't know if that's how I'm raised or how I was wired. I don't know if that's a DNA thing or, uh, you know, that, that's where, where you were. I, I don't know what that is. But, I, you know, I, I was definitely wired a little differently, still kind of am. You guys know me, a little crazy. Um, but, you know, I think if you want to achieve the maximum, if you want to be top 100 in the world at anything, doesn't matter if it's golf, basketball, or, you know, art, or the top 100 doctor in the world, you are going to sacrifice most things in your life. You just have to. So the guys in front of you are doing that. That's, that's what they are. So, you know that's why there's not that many. You know there's one hundred top one hundred out of billions of people.
0: How about when you were out playing? Was there anybody any outliers that uh, got by without that win at all costs mentality on the tour?
3: I mean, I I think you could speculate and say some guys were just so talented that they could get away with it. Um, you know, I think, and and then maybe you know I I think. Guys mature maybe a little bit and learn how to maximize their time. I mean, I believed early on that I needed to just practice, you know, every waking hour and every single second of every day had to be every decision I made on what I was going to do was related to how would it help me in golf tomorrow. Everything, you know, whether I was home sleeping, what I watched on TV, anything was, does this help me? And, you know, I think as you get older, you realize, okay, well, that's probably a little unhealthy at some level, and it's time to, you know, find some balance, because at the end of it, I don't think that that made me incredibly happy, right? My my most rewarding moments now are not winning the tournament anymore. My most rewarding moments now are watching my daughter win her tournament or whatever her thing is. Um, You know, so my, my priorities have shifted. You know, I still, man, when I play, I still want to win, but I do know that I'm not doing everything I can to win. And at this point at 55, I'm not willing to do everything anymore. But for 15 years I did everything and probably to an unhealthy level. But I think those guys like a Tiger Woods and a Michael Jordan they probably had the similar Oops. possessive will, but they also had incredible talent, incredible <laughs> physical abilities, you know, and that's how you become the number one of a generation, right? Brad Lorden is never going to be number one of a generation. He's just physically wired for it, you know, or built that way. But, you know, that, that's, it's, it's tough, man. We have so many things pulling us from so many different directions. And those guys that are in the total now, no matter what field and life they're in, that's really the only thing that matters to them. That's the only thing they know. And, you know, I, I think it helps to be either super smart or not so smart. But when you're somewhere in the middle – That's when it gets confusing and it's really hard to rationalize any of it.
0: So, So, you know, so guys, let me let me ask you this, both of you. So, I'm not someone that needs to win, I really could care less about winning. And I realized that kind of partway through my journey, my short lived journey in mini tour golf, like I was more about the experience. I liked, I thought it was cool to be out there doing it, I thought it was cool to travel. I enjoyed the travel and like the practice rounds way more than any of the, the competitive stuff. So question is, uh, to both of you, what can someone do to better their competitiveness or better their golf scores when they're not a particularly competitive person?
3: Well, you can Mark, Mark, I'll, I'll chime in first and you please go second. Um, so, so Clay, that, drive where winning's not that important that probably hurt you in your pursuit of golf for sure. professional
0: hundred percent right? that
3: that was that, that was the crusher on that one Um, you know I think you can get better and still have balance right I mean I'm still trying to get better but I have balance um, I have some balance in my life now Um, so it depends on what that uh, that summit is that you're trying to climb. If if top of the summit is I want to be two shots better handicap wise than I was two years ago, you don't have to sacrifice everything, right? You can enjoy the experience. Um I, I I did a playing lesson with a member today that's trying to go from a 12 to a 10 handicap, and you know he said, you know I I play good on the front nine a lot and. and Then I start thinking about my score, and you know, my my advice was on that. And and I knew this particular gentleman well enough to where I think I could provide some deeper insight, not generalize. You know, I said you play your best when you're really enjoying trying the moment of trying to hit this shot, and you know, this cool shot. And once you start focusing on the score, right, trying to break eighty or whatever. Then you forgot about the shot. You forgot about the how fun it is. Just try to the challenge of each shot as it comes. Right, you're focusing on something in the future instead of this right here. And when you can stay with this, it sounds like you're better doing this on the front nine than the back nine. And when you can stay with this for the four hour period or the whole eighteen holes, then you can just add it up at the end. I said you have to not give a shit as much. Excuse my language. As much about the results and just really love that process of the challenge of the shot. But that's still winning. I don't want to win the shot, and I know if I win all these shots, i win the day, or win the tournament, or win the whatever. Um, but it, it's winning the moment, really. Right? you ultimately, if you win all the moments the results probably going
2: to be pretty good later on down the line.
0: Greer, do you agree with all that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. For, for the most part, I mean, it's all about mentality. Um, you know, I totally agree that you're trying to win the moment. Um, you know, even if you're not competitive, you're trying to make, uh, whatever deal you're trying to create the best that you can for yourself. I mean, even like you're, you're never going to be competitive when it comes to sports, you, yourself. But you can still find improvement in golf through another mentality, right? Whether it's what he says, creating unbelievable shots, you know, in succession, and then creating more of them in succession and then, until you have an awesome score at the end. And then uh, minding your mentality as you go through the round to where you don't make the mistakes that we make as golfers you know, it's, it's all a mentality. It doesn't have to be competitive, right? When you get to the top level, yes, you have to be competitive and you have to have a, a, a selfish, uh, well, people say you have to have a selfish mentality. I'm not necessarily agreeing with that because I've never experienced that, but um, I do know that uh, you can improve at golf without being competitive.
0: I, I, I Just as you guys are talking there, it kind of, dawned on me and and sort of my journey mentally has been once I realized I didn't care about beating the other guy but that I really cared about winning the moment as you guys described so really it is a form of competition but it's just like holding myself accountable how how good can I be how good can my mindset be on the golf course that's my competition I don't care at the end of the day if I win the tournament or whatever all I can because all I can control is, is my thought process and, and what I do uh, to visualize a shot and to recognize when I've got a bad swing thought that comes through and back off the ball and restart. That's really all I care about. If I can play an entire round of golf without thinking like, oh, that was really stupid of me. That was just lazy. Like I did something lazy or I didn't quite think that through. If that to me is, is my form of competitiveness.
2: And that it really in my book is just all about staying conscious for a larger percentage of time as we go throughout the day. So in your in your golf round, you're going to attempt to stay conscious uh, for a, a, a very a long a larger percentage of time, and definitely while you're playing your shots.
0: Okay, well, shifting gears here, guys. Brad, while I still got you on the phone, uh, what have you learned during Corona about you and your life? And do you like my my plan going forward is to is to focus on discipline. That's sort of my why. I want to build 1L Media, 1L Studios into this thing where I can do Grown Man Radio. I can do Quarantine Tonight. I can do my Tuesday and and start to become this like golf instructor, podcasting, media producer, book writer guy. Focus on all the things that I want to be doing and not allow distractions to get in my way. So I want to be disciplined. But Brad, what what have you learned and do you have any kind of new guiding principles going forward after Corona?
3: Yeah. You know, so Corona for me in many ways has been kind of a blessing. Um, you know, I'm afforded, especially the last two months. And now, now I'm starting to get back to my normal life where, you know, I work all the time. But my last couple months, you know, I've got to spend, uh, an amazing amount of time with my family that normally I would find an excuse not to do, whether it was practice or to teach or to work or whatever. And you know, I, I've discovered how rewarding that is, and how much satisfaction it gives me to, you know, spend this quality time with my daughter. I'm getting to know her in ways that normally Want to get to know when I just come home for two hours a night conscious. And,
0: you know, now I
3: get to know her much more deeply and, and how she's really doing. Um, so it allows me to focus on things other than me and for so much of my life that's not what it was about. You know, so I think um, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I'm going to be glad when it's over. But I hope I... You know, shift my priorities a little bit and figure out a way. So my priority definitely is getting to experience this time with my daughter over my golf results right now. That's, that's a fact. And, you know, I just want to be able, you know, as we get back into a little more normalcy, not forget that. And some, in some weird way, You know, I think maybe I've practiced so much in my life that you know, if I take care of the other things, you know, maybe maybe I don't need to practice so much now. Maybe I can just rely on a little memory, feel better in my soul and my heart because I'm, you know, taking care of things that at this point in time are much more important. But you know, for me, it was—it's almost been spiritual in that way. You know, I I think everybody probably has their own take of it, right? Life is simple now. There's, you know, we don't drive as much, we don't do anything outside of what we do as much, not near as much distraction right now.
2: And in a lot of ways,
3: that's really refreshing.
0: Cool. I like that. Mark, what about you? Anything going forward that you're going to take with you into life after Corona?
2: Eh, no man I mean look we're in a small town we haven't really been affected by it as much as other people have even probably Brad um but honestly I feel like many of this stuff is working man I mean this stuff is we need a vaccine right I mean that's what we need so I'm just looking to get back to normal uh I can
0: tell
2: you we've been working our
0: tail off during the time. It's been fun. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me tonight on the Grown Man Radio Show. Please go check out Mark Mark Greer's new book, and it's uh, under a pen name of Mark. I've forgotten. Mark Murphy. (laughs) Mark He's Murphy, it's on Amazon and on Kindle, it's called Getting Better, uh, check it out, Mark's a super cool guy, uh, got a lot of uh, great things going around in that head of his, and uh, you got to check out his book. Anything else for the record before we shut it off here on Grown Man Radio, gentlemen?
3: No, I just want to say to both of you guys, uh, I'm incredibly proud to have you guys as friends, and. It's so fun for me as the old guy now, you know, watching you guys, um, you know, do all these incredible things with your lives. I mean, you know, Mark's written a book that's amazing. And what most people probably don't know is Mark is an unbelievable musician, used to make musical tapes for me. They were like Jack Johnson and so cool. Um. So Mark has many, many talents, and Clay, you have incredible talents in all different varieties, and, you know, I'm just so proud to watch you guys excel at so many different things and kind of, you know, using all your talents to pursue your dreams, whatever they may be, Um, you know, more power to you guys, keep it going, Uh, you guys are an inspiration.
0: Man, it's a love fest tonight here on Girl Man Radio. Uh, we did just have a, uh, a missed call here. Brad, do you mind if I drop you briefly so I can pick up this, yeah. uh, this? We've got someone who can't wait to talk to Mark. Oh, my
2: God. Later. Thank you, guys. See ya.
0: Later. Bye, Bye Brad. Love you. All right, let's try this. Man, I think he's uh, he's feeling the love in Santa Fe. Santa Fe is making him a very sentimental person. I love it. He's a good guy, man. Brad Larden, one of the legends. We're calling back this 903 number. You've called twice. Hopefully you call. Hopefully you pick up. Hello, you're on Girl Man Radio. What's up, guys?
1: It's Victory Lane.
0: Oh, Victory Lane is in the house. What is going on, Mr. Tidwell? Not much. It's, it's good to see you, Mark.
2: Good to see you. Where are you at, Lane? Where am I? Yeah.
1: I am currently at home. um oh, me. Argyle now. Oh, Argyle. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I actually mapped it out. We're we're about an hour and a half from Wichita Falls. So, uh, so we'll have to come check you out soon.
0: Hey, can we get on for a cart fee, pro?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll take care of you, Lane. Come on, man.
0: <laughs> Free play with you, though. <laughs> Lane, how's it going up in Argyle? It's going good, man. Going good. Just What's Mason doing tonight? Mason, did you hear? Mason's out in West Texas now. He's out chasing the the Earl in the ground. He said his company was hedged at a certain number—I don't remember what—but that was uh, beneficial as the the price of oil was uh, plummeting. I haven't heard as the as the price of oil come back up. I saw it's like a dollar fifty-five driving around town now. Yeah, it's not negative not negative is good is that real like could i have gotten a bunch of barrels of oil for free yeah people were paying people to take it off of their hands do you think my landlord would have been upset if i had a bunch of barrels of oil out in the backyard you live in an apartment or a house it's a rental house yeah then yes how many barrels of oil do you think I could uh, get away with having and be like, no, 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 I'm just going to, you know, turn these into garden boxes? Well, I'm a landlord, and I would say two. Two, all right. Well, Lane is in the real estate business now. He's kind of in the uh, finding the, uh, the ugly houses and getting them flipped. How's that business going, Lane?
1: Man, it's going. Obviously, uh, things have slowed down a little bit. Uh, here since coronavirus hit, but um, man, we're still still trucking along. It's, uh, it's a fun job. I enjoy doing it. Um,
0: so yeah, no no complaints. What's your best? What's your favorite memory of Mark Greer from Miramont? Oh, this is not. Oh him. man, you know we we talk about. You should all ask
2: me what my favorite memory of him was.
0: I'll ask. I'll ask you in a minute. I want to hear Lane first. Well, you know.
1: Me getting hired on at Miramont was was sort of divine intervention, if you will. Um, I had never played around the golf in my life. And I knew I just wanted to have a job working outside. So I Googled golf courses and um, I rolled up to Miramont one day, just went to the pro shop and I filled out an application and um, I gave it to Mark. And uh, of course he was busy doing something. And he, he told me that, um, that they weren't hiring at the time, and so this is where the divine intervention part comes in. So later that day, my good buddy and orthopedic surgeon uh, Dr. Robert Dennis calls me, and he had some extra tickets to the a m basketball game that night. So uh, I ended up I going to with him, nice. and just in conversation, I asked him where he was staying, and he said, "I'm staying at Miramont," and I said, "Oh, are you a member out there?" And he said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a member. And I said, okay. I said, well, I actually applied to work on the golf staff out there today, but they they weren't hiring. And he said, really? And I said, yeah. And he said, okay. And that was the end of the conversation. And two days later, Mark Greer called me and said, hey, man, can you start next week?
0: <laughs> All right. I love it when the plan comes together. Uh, Mark- you know how that deal went down, right? Yeah, you know how What's that at? You got a call, Mark. What's up with this? You're telling my boy Lane you can't work here.
1: (laughs) That's the uh, the first lesson I learned at Miramont. It's it's not what you know; it's who you know.
0: (laughs) You saw the uh, the Rolls Royce uh, pull up in the valet circle. Dum dum (laughs) da dum dum da dum da dum da dum.
2: Yeah, like a dark dark Bentley, wasn't it?
0: (laughs) Yes. Um, so what's your favorite memory of Laner from our, our time together as a Miramont uh, co-workers?
2: Honestly, it's stuff that I can't say, bro.
0: <laughs> this is the internet. There's like only seven people watching.
2: No, no. Hey, uh, all I gotta say is, do you remember Sid the Kid?
1: Yes, I do. <laughs> hey,
2: that's all I gotta say. <laughs> uh,
1: okay. Oh yeah. Well, um, kind of keeping uh, since since Mark Greer is the star of the show tonight. Um, I uh, Clay was talking earlier about just being being young and and not really knowing what you're doing. I was kind of in the same boat working in Miramont, and um, you know you're young, going through the motions, and, and looking back, Clay hit the nail on the head. Mark's attention to detail and demanding perfection. Was I mean? That's that's exactly what Mark Greer taught us. Um, and you know, looking back at, at my time, if you had asked me when I was twenty one years old to rate Mark Greer as a boss, I would have rated him a three, just because he was he was on our asses all the time. But Are you sure to live it that high? Now, <laughs> but but looking back now, you know, um, Mark never expected anything from his staff that he, that that he didn't expect from himself. I mean the dude's just a perfectionist. I and mean, what we've all seen is calligraphy. I mean, the dude is just a perfectionist. And so, um, you know, I, I look back at working in Miramont is like a, uh, a chapter of my life. And, uh, and, and Greer was, I mean, he, it wasn't about the armor all and the, and the tire shine and all that. It was just about looking professional and, and doing a job and doing it right and doing it the best you can. And, uh, I think that I think that stuck with a lot of the guys that, that I worked with
0: there. Best looking amenity stations in the land. What did you say? I said best looking amenity stations in the land. If we could just get some damn ham sandwiches. <laughs>
2: Don't hack me, baby.
0: <laughs> Got bacon and beer on Fridays. <laughs>
2: Hey, uh, Lane, I really appreciate that. I, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, you know, people like you, uh, you know, picked up on that stuff. You know, that's all I was trying to do was uh, create a culture among us.
0: I got I I, I was a very – I didn't know the value really of hard work sort of did. But one of the first days working there, uh, we were running a tournament, and Mark was running around with his hair on fire. And, like, we were relaying something from the cart barn. And he was, like, up on those, like, fancy, like, uh, patio overlook things. And he was, like, coming down the stairs. And I was sort of, like, walking towards him. And he's, like, you're not going to meet me halfway. And I was, like, oh, shit. Like, I I should have done, like, a a slight jog towards you. But, like, me and my inexperienced, non-hardworking self, I was just, like, ah, he's coming to me. I guess he's going to hand off this thing. But he, I still remember that. I was like, "Oh crap. I felt like I, like, stepped on the dog's tail or something. Like, My bad. It was just in the moment, you know. It's a big love fest tonight on Grown Man Radio. Thanks for calling in, Lane. Earlier I asked, Thanks, Lane. Earlier I asked Brad, you know, if he uh, – and I asked Mark, if Corona's taught you anything and if you're going to take anything from it in your day-to-day as things return back to normal, any lessons that you're going to carry forward.
1: Oh, uh, you know, man. I think it's, I think it's just shown us that that we just need to be prepared for anything crazy that can happen. I mean, I don't, I haven't talked to anybody that would have ever predicted or could have predicted that something like this would happen. I mean, even talk, talking to you know my dad and my father-in-law, you know, guys that are in their sixties. I mean, they they said this is just the craziest thing that's ever happened. And so, um, you know, I think that we just have to be open-minded that. Um, anything crazy like this can happen at any time. And, you know, you just, you need to be prepared for it and, and make the best of the situation as it comes.
0: Fair enough. Dad. Fair enough. Well, uh, everybody once again, check out Mark Murphy, AKA Mark Greer's new book getting better available now on Amazon and on Kindle lane. Brad, thanks so much for calling into the show. Mark, thanks for your time tonight. I thought that was very enjoyable. We had some nice comments come in on the YouTube channel. M. Kobe says, the book is great. Love the show. Thank you. Robert Brokaw says, great show. Got to go. Keep up the good work. Say hi to your wonderful wife. Lori Greer says, this I must come back to later. Brilliant so far. Oh, brilliant so far. That's positive. So uh, a lot of love coming in on the uh, on the YouTube machine, and I uh, love you guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Let uh, me say
2: real quick that you probably had a listener from Japan
0: tonight. Is that a fact? You know, know anything, but Hi Miyuki. Who is this? Uh, is that uh, M Kobe? Yeah, that is Miyuki. Yeah. How do you know her? Um. She- uh, she was
2: my uh, dad's uh, lady.
0: Okay. Um, and yeah,
2: like my aunt now.
0: <laughs> awesome. Yeah. It's always cool to have an aunt looking out for you. Yeah. She's kind of like one of my aunts. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, boys. Well, it's 930. It's time to shut it down. uh, we are going to have. Yeah, hey, exactly. congrats on the book, Mark.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Lane. Uh, Absolutely. Hey, get that stop button for me.
0: um this episode is brought to you by ollie goes fishing and ollie plays golf available now on amazon you can check it out there as well as my golf satire book sandbaggery the art of winning at all costs from a to z which is the sponsor of the grown phone baby a lot of our members love that book Oh, awesome. I'm glad that it's out there. And um, I'm going to revive it a little bit. I've got some new ideas to kind of pump life into it. What I really need to do is sell it to Club, sell it to club Pro Guy. But that's a whole nother discussion. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for the Grown Man Radio Show. And this is our theme song. Goodbye. Well, I'm a grown man. What do you know? It's the Grown Man Radio Show.
1: I'm a grown man. What do you know? It's the old man radio show. Yeah.